2: É pra vender? Então tem que pagar imposto. Não sabia que a prefeitura tinha uma parte do meu servado. O que a mulher disse é mais. Aqui tem erro na conta. Leve o seu dinheiro. E se não quiser, vai procurar emprego em outro lugar. Vamos jogar um 31 lá dentro?
1: Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Mr. Chris Dashew. Hi, it's me. I'm here. All right, good. Also along for the ride is Mr. Trevor Gumble.
3: Great to be back, Mike. Thanks for having me again.
1: We are kicking off a month of shows discussing the Cinema Novo movement from Brazil with a look at Nelson Piera dos Santos' 1963 film Vida Secas. Also known as Barren Lives, the film is based on a 1938 novel by Gran Cielo Ramos. It's the story of a family trying to survive in the scraggly countryside of northeast Brazil. We join them as they search for a place to live, a way to put food on their table, and how to make an Money to buy a leather bed. We'll talk a lot more about that later. We will be spoiling this film as much as it can be spoiled, so be warned. Also, I wanted to emphasize that this is the first in a series of discussions we're going to have as we try to figure out Cinema Novo, contemporary Brazil at that time, and the importance of the cinematic movement as we go along. I don't think that either of you guys saw this film before. I definitely hadn't. So I want to know, Chris, start us off. What did you think of Vita Secas?
0: One of the things I love about coming on the Projection Booth podcast is I know I'm going to be challenged cinematically. In my cinematic beliefs, what I hold to be sacred, what I hold to be a constant when it comes to cinematic, my cinematic experience when I watch films. I appreciate that about our friendship. One of the many things I appreciate, Mike, obviously. So sitting down to watch another film that is Cinema Nova, which is another massive movement in cinema in Brazil, I didn't know what to expect going into it and coming out of it. It is a, a a film that is an experience from the opening shot to the final shot, which brings it right back around. It is a rough watch. It is a, at times hard to understand watch for a number of reasons, but I think it's a rewarding watch for a North American Western viewer for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into once we start really breaking it down.
1: How about you, Trevor?
3: I'm more used to more genre specific fare. Like, you know, the more, easily digestible um, Hollywood stuff. But like Chris said, I the reason I do this podcast is because I do love challenging myself, and I do love seeing things that I probably otherwise wouldn't have even heard of or seen. When I sat down to watch this, I was very invested in this family. I agree with Chris. It was very hard to watch because it's very brutal but in different ways than you'd think. Ultimately, it was a very, very rewarding experience to watch, and I feel like I learned a lot of new things, so I'm grateful for that.
1: What about you, Mike? hadn't seen this one before, obviously, and this is my first experience with... I think with a Brazilian film, I don't think that I've ever seen Brazilian film before. I've read about it. I had friends in college who saw *Pichot* from 1980, and they talked about how brutal that film was. So it's not the cinema of brutality, but it seems like there's a lot of brutal stuff in here. I know that the folks from Cinema Novo were very inspired by Italian neorealism. And I can really see that with this as far as, I can't say handheld cameras, because it did look like there was some good camera work in this, but it looks like maybe some unprofessional actors, it's like they're reveling in the poverty and showing the common man. I was glad that I I actually watched this the other day when I was uh, donating platelets at the Red Cross, because with that, you can't move around, you can't look at your phone, you can't do anything, you just have to be in the moment, watching the film. And at first, I thought that my evening was going to be ruined because I didn't think there was any sound on this movie. And that weird way that as we see the family in the distance coming towards us and the music or that that noise that comes on the soundtrack comes up just ever so slowly, I was just really kind of freaked out, like, is there any sound to this? Is there any sound? And it took, like, two or three minutes before I ever even heard anything on the soundtrack.
0: You know what you are in for the moment you start watching a film where it's a diegetic soundtrack of an axle wheel going over barren land for three minutes. If this were any other film, it would be insanely grating. It would feel completely unnecessary. But with this film and the message that the film is going for, and the experiences of the people that it's showing in the film. I'm here for it. It makes perfect sense.
3: The cacophony of that axle wheel at the beginning, once you realize exactly what the filmmaker was trying to convey, it makes a lot more sense. It becomes less grating and more, oh, that's, that's, okay, now I get it. It's not just an axle wheel making that sound. It's almost as if the sun beating down on them is that sound. That's the sound of the sun just completely just wrecking them right
1: now i have a vision in my head when i say brazil and that is not the image that I got when I was watching this movie. I have the image of Brazilian towns where you've got all the, what is it, favelas all built up on the sides of the, of the mountains, you know, that we've seen in the second Hulk movie, you know, or one of the, uh, Fast and the Furious movies. I've got pictures of the Amazon in my head. I've got beaches, you know, all these things are going on in my head. I don't picture deserts and just the worst scraggly landscape it it was amazing to see how much the landscape reflected what we're seeing in this film and just that it's the whole idea of what you're saying trevor the sun beating down on these people these people are just so oppressed and just living at their wits end that we see them carrying all of their belongings that they own in the world including their pet parrot, who isn't long for this world. That was the moment for me when I was just like, oh, shit just got real. The mother character reaches over, grabs that parrot, snaps its neck, and is just like, it never talked anyway.
4: This
0: is an ex I guess using her logic, she should have killed almost everyone in the film. Because there is nary a five-minute stretch of film where there's a lot of dialogue, this film is almost devoid of dialogue. Which I think builds on the ideas that the film is going for with oppression and abject poverty in... Not only are you experiencing poverty, you're experiencing poverty in a place in the world where being in that level of poverty is about the worst possible thing you could be dealing with.
3: Yeah, and really what else What else can be said. So, I mean, what dialogue is really necessary when... Everything that's being said is right there on the screen. It wasn't really for the the characters to say, oh, my God, this is such we're in such poverty. I'm desperate for work and shelter and food for my children.
1: They just show it. Well, there is that weird scene that's pretty close to the beginning where Fabiano and Sinha Vittoria, the husband and wife, where they are talking, but they're talking over each other. It's one of those moonlighting moments where I'm just like, okay, who am I supposed to be listening to? But of course, with this being a subtitled film, I'm only getting certain subtitles. So it's just like, okay, who is talking right now? Because they're both talking. Whose subtitles am I reading? And they just are talking over one another. It's like, you know, we're talking about communication, and it's like, yeah, these people don't talk to each other very much, but when they do they end up not really understanding each other
2: A garante que ficou
4: Será que
2: a levou
3: parou
4: macia da camarinha
3: And I think it kind of goes with Fabiano's illiteracy one he doesn't read much so he doesn't really know what to say and what he does say is short and sweet and he's kind of almost led by his wife not like controlling or anything, but I
1: think he trusts her to know what is right and, you know, what they need.
0: And in certain scenes it almost gets him in trouble. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I think I know what scene you're talking about. And let's give a little background on this. Eventually they make it to this house. They uh, become squatters. The uh, owner of the house comes along and he's just like, Hey, get out of here. And Fabiano's like, wait, no, I'm, I'm really good. I'm a good worker. Give me a job. So he ends up becoming this like cowhand for this guy. And then at the end of the season, it's time for the owner to pay up, and Fabiano's wife is like, okay, you should get this much money, and she counts it out using, I guess, corn or something on the, the floor, stones, something, and then Fabiano goes to the boss and is like, okay, yo, time to give me some money, and the boss gives him so much money, and then he's just like, wait, this isn't nearly enough, and, you know, he's been told one thing by his wife. His boss is just like, no, no, I'm charging you interest. And it's just like, what the fuck are you trying to pull, dude? You know, like this wealthy landowner trying to screw over the little guy. And then, of course, Fabiano is just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, you know, don't fire me or anything. Uh, my my wife must have been wrong. And I know there's no way in hell that she was wrong.
3: That really kind of illustrates going, getting back to the movement in itself, what the movement was trying to illustrate, which was the... The separation between the 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 working class and the, the higher ups, you know, the ones that control the who don't have to worry about where their food comes from and the separation between them and the clash, I guess, is the word. You know what I mean?
0: Fabiano's character and his wife, they have this idealized version of what it means to live in the city. And they keep talking about it. And Mike, like you mentioned at the beginning, the leather bed, it's the thing that they're chasing. It is the ultimate prize for Fabiano's wife. And she's chasing that. And she thinks that if they can just stop living like animals and sleep on a leather bed at night, that it will change everything and everything will be fixed and the world will, you know, open up to them. And it's, you know, you go to the city, you're still going to be you. Any way you cut it, it's just going to be you in poverty in the city as opposed to you in poverty in the countryside or the barren countryside as the film does such a good job of portraying that the countryside, the northeastern countryside of Brazil, would seem to me to be a giant desert.
3: What Fabian and his wife were doing, were comparing their situation to this man, Tomas,
1: I think that his the name was, Mike? Yeah, that kind of comes out of nowhere. Like he starts speaking about Tomas, and I can only imagine that he's somebody that they knew must have some sort of background. Cause I'm just like, who's this Tomas guy? And then he keeps talking about him as like he's idealized Tomas. Yeah,
3: like Tomas has a leather bed and Tomas has these, you know, leather shoes or something like that. And they just keep comparing themselves to a man who uh, we don't know, we haven't seen. And I mean, I, I, I was thinking maybe he was a worker with him where he was before, where he was working before. That's all I could really gather of what he could have, what, who Tomas could have been.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking that Tomas might've been his friend before. And then it seems like the house that they come upon might have been where Tomas was before. I mean, that's my best guess for that. And it was weird because when I read some of the reviews of this film, there were a lot of things where I was just like, I didn't get that at all. There were even reviews where it was just like, blah, 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 this farmer. And I was like, well, he's not really a farmer. He's more of like a cow hand in this. I wouldn't call him a farmer. And there were other things where I was just like, I didn't get that at all. And I don't know if it was just that it was reviews that were written before you could take notes. But, you know, I just watched the movie and I'm like, I don't remember him farming at all. I just remember him. Wrestling cattle.
0: Yeah, he's not a farmer. He's a drover, which is like a, a cow herder. Look, here is an inherent issue with a foreign film of this film's age and the quality of the version that we watched. Mike, we've talked about this innumerable times at this point, both on your podcast and on mine. Sometimes foreign films are inherently harder for Western audiences to follow. This is one of those films. I struggled at times to follow like we've been talking about with the character of Tomas. I struggled to figure out who they were referencing. It just seems to be some character that's thrown out as a reference. And there you go.
3: Yeah. It was just a throwaway reference to an unseen person that they aspire to aspire to live. Like
1: I did want to touch on the boss character a little bit more. The one really telling moment for me when it comes to that boss of how much higher in the social standing he is, is that he can afford to give his daughter violin lessons. That moment for me is really super telling. And when Fabiano comes in and sees this little girl playing violin, it's just like, my God, you know, his kids are lucky if they have shoes and this girl is playing violin.
3: His daughter's playing violin lessons and yet his sons are are ranching sheep. It's a lot of like compare and contrast of lifestyles.
1: His sons are so poor that they don't even have names.
3: Even the dog has a name. The dog is more humanized
0: than almost anyone else in this entire film.
3: He really is. It's almost like when they, when you hear the dog yelling or saying anything, it's like, oh, oh, my God, I kind of understand what he's saying in terms of, the, of his situations.
1: It's some of the best either editing. I know that a lot of the whimpering and noises that it's making are just done post-synchronously. But the reactions that they're getting from this dog in certain scenes, he is top notch. Yeah, he's amazing.
0: Well, they brought the dog with them to Cannes to prove that they didn't kill the dog. I kid you not. Go look it up. They said they because they were in trouble because people thought they had actually killed the dog. And I know that this is. This is jumping way far ahead, but I mean, you know, look, the, the dog, whose name is uh, Balia, which means whale, I believe, in Portuguese, th- at the end of the film, unfortunately, dies at the hand of Fabiano. And I guess the audience was so upset that they were under the impression that the dog actually died because they did such a good job of filming it. So, yes, they brought the dog with them to Cannes. So,
3: so they pulled a cannibal holocaust. Yeah, exactly. They brought the actor with them to prove that they're not dead. See, we didn't kill him. (laughs) They're they're right here.
1: I could tell that he wasn't actually hurt. But again, like just that framing of him at the end where it's like half of his face and then, you know, the rest of it is kind of out of focus. I mean, just it was beautifully shot. And I have to say that this whole movie, you know, it said like, oh, well, where it really wasn't handheld. They actually had dollies and I could see some good camera moves. I mean, this film is really well shot. It looks gorgeous.
3: There are times where that where it's very shaky, where it's almost like almost dizzying the way it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know if it was because it was the version I was watching.
0: To me, it seemed like the film was actively trying to get me to stop watching it. At the beginning of the film, when it's playing that diegetic soundtrack of the wagon wheel, I actively wanted to stop watching the film because that noise alone is so grating and so purposefully off putting that if you can make it through that, you will begin to see other parts of the film where they are going out of their way to really make the film feel rustic and rough because the film does feel rough and rustic at times. Oh, it
3: does. It's, it's definitely hardcore. Just hits you right in the face of, you can feel the poverty. Like I've never seen a film where I could feel the poverty as much as I did when I was watching this film. I was feeling their situation. I was thanking my lucky stars. I wasn't in that situation, but I felt that, you know, I really felt that.
0: That's a huge positive and a success of the film. It's not a good feeling to have, but it's a success on their part, for sure.
3: Yeah, they successfully relayed the the theme, the message and the tone.
1: Well, you were talking about that leather bed, and I'm just like, okay, you know, trying to picture what a leather bed is, and I can't really still picture it in my mind other than maybe just leather over something soft, because when they show what their bed is that they have, where it's a bunch of sticks all tied together, it looks more like a raft than a bed, I hurt just looking at that, just thinking of how uncomfortable that must be to sleep on.
3: Well, what I was picturing was... The kind of crisscross pattern of, you know, like those old lawn chairs, they would like lie on the bed because the leather was softer, I guess. And it would just be more comfortable lying in that uh, crisp because I don't I didn't see them lying on anything soft because I didn't really see anything soft around unless they wanted to shave the sheep and make a out of that. I don't know.
0: I do find it funny that the whole focal point of the film is the leather bed. For me personally, I don't equate a leather... Leather beds don't sound comfortable.
3: They do if you're, if you're...
0: Sleeping on the ground. Yeah, exactly. In the summertime, it gets hot. A leather bed, not going to be helpful in the summertime.
1: Better than a vinyl bed. Everyone asks, Corinthian leather? Of course, why not the best?
0: It feels like, to me, the, the idea of this leather bed is almost kind of like a sick joke a little bit of black humor because it's like all she wants is this leather bed, but they're living somewhere. where like having a leather bed means nothing. It doesn't change your situation. It doesn't change anything other than at night you get to sleep a little bit more comfortably, possibly depending on what a leather bed actually is when we're talking about 1960s
3: Brazil. Well, maybe it's because he wants to feel a small bit of non-poverty. Maybe he equates it with non-poverish impoverishness. And he feels that if he, gets this leather bed then there's a little bit of assurance that oh okay now we're doing better than we were
1: i'm not
0: sure anyone views anyone with a leather bed that way but it's a it's a personal perception versus an external
1: chris you talked about how this film actively makes you not want to watch it and there are moments where i'm just cringing watching them like when he's talking to his boss and his boss is like hey you don't trust me you know i'll do you want a job still? You know, he's about to fire him. And then when he goes outside and there's the one of the soldiers there and then a fucking tax man who's just like, Hey, you pay taxes on that money? I'm just like, Oh, for fuck's sake, is he going to get in trouble with this fucking tax man now? And luckily kind of skirts out of that, but then they make this big trip to town. And there's a, uh, a a soldier there who I ke- I kept thinking he was a cop, and then I was like, no, that I guess it doesn't make any sense. It's probably all soldiers. And the soldiers are just like, hey, yeah, let's go gambling. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! I was wondering where he was coming from, to be honest with you, because he just
3: he just goes up to him and says, "Want to play?" And you know, I was wondering, does he know this guy, or is it just figures he could take advantage of a impoverished guy? He figures they're easier to get money off of.
0: Well and Fabiano's the perfect mark because he is clearly not the brightest of characters, unfortunately.
1: And even though they're dressed up in their finest to go to this festival that's happening in town, he still looks like a bumpkin. I think they were going to church at the beginning.
3: Well, it's like
0: a no, you mean in the you mean midway through the movie, right, Mike?
1: Well I'm talking about when there's the uh, all the gambling stuff was I'm am mm-hmm. I combining two s- scenes because I know they were going to the church and they're in the church when he's off gambling I think yeah, and I is that is that also yeah cuz that's the same time where there's like this thing that looks like a cow and it's going around and that's where the the boss and another guy are and they come to the A boss I don't know if it's his boss but they go to the jail and tell them to let this other dude out
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that
1: one, yeah. So I think that's all in the same place, right?
3: I believe so, yes.
1: That soldier ends up showing up again in one of the strangest scenes. You know, We've got this whole incident that happens in town, and then later on in the film, the soldier shows up again, just wandering through the brush, and then Fabiano is there looking for a cow and is just like, had his machete up like he's going to whack this guy and just cut off his arm or something. And I just kept wanting him to do it because this soldier is just such an awful person.
0: Well, he locked Fabiano up because Fabiano disrespected him. Can we talk about, though, the portrayal of the characters in quote unquote power in this film? Because they are very, 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 very unabashedly terrible people (laughs) in this film. They're not even trying to give you a line to walk down. It is very clearly in one direction. These are all very terrible characters who are taking advantage of the the poor.
1: Fabiano gets taken advantage of by this soldier, and the soldier le- gets really mad when he walks away because he's lost all of his money. So great. You got paid by your boss this, I don't know, 600 pesetas or whatever it is that he got, and then- ends up losing it all in, like, five minutes in gambling, and then the soldier's just like, hey, what are you doing leaving? You know, this isn't right. You disrespected me. Takes him to the jail, and then he gets beat to shit by this. I, I couldn't even figure out what the thing was because it looked like it was leaving, like, little dots on his back.
3: It looked like a machete to me. It looked like a, a blade that it was hitting on.
1: Because he does get cut up. He has to get sewn up. Later on, we see him get sewn. And that was one of those things where you see, a lot of times you'll see the protagonist of a film get beat up. And you're just like, okay, whatever. But he really, like, the way he acts is just like, oh, wow, he really got messed up. You know, he can barely move. He has trouble even laying down. And he's got this other guy in the cell with him with a bandaged hand. And we don't know What he's done, he barely, again, talking about dialogue, he barely says anything. I don't think he even says anything in the cell. He doesn't say anything until the next day and helps out Fabiano, lays him down. And yeah, I mean, Fabiano is so messed up that he ends up having to get stitches maybe the next day or the day after. He's just really has been punished by these guys who are terrible and punishing him for really not doing anything. Well,
0: punishing him for sticking up for himself.
3: Well, basically they're punishing him for just walking away from a situation he knew he was, he lost everything. What else is he gonna, where else is he gonna go? He figures just leave the table and the soldier for some reason takes that as a sign of disrespect. I think maybe because he needed to feel some power. So he figures, okay, I'm gonna arrest this guy because, you know, it's gonna make me look like a wussy if I just, you know, let him go.
1: Where have we seen that before? Well, and he's got short guy syndrome too where he's just really tries has to show his power because he's like a head shorter than Fabiano.
3: A definite Napoleonic complex.
1: And I do like the next day when the one guy comes in and it's just like let my guy go and you know, hey, what are you doing in here Fabiano? I think it's two guys, one who has the one guy and one and then Fabiano's boss when they leave the person who is in the cell with him lets him ride his horse. He gives him a gun, and then he says, Do you want to come with us? These are the guys who... I want to be with, you know, these are the guys who seem like they are about to start some sort of a revolution. And it's very telling in the movie that these people are here, that we have this group and they're not really like out there shooting up stuff or anything, but I'm just like, these guys, they seem like they're up to something to me. And I, I was very excited. and I was kind of hoping that Fabiano would be like, yeah, sure. Let's go kill some landowners.
3: Uh, yeah. I was kind of upset. He didn't go with them, but then again, this is a man who for all of his lack of intelligence has principles. He didn't want to leave his family because I don't think he was sure if they were gonna be able to provide for themselves if he was gone. So I think just out of principle he decided to stay with them, although I think he desperately wanted to become a revolutionary and, you know, fight for the for the rights of the working man.
1: I think it's also very telling that he gets arrested, he's thrown in jail and and his wife has no idea where he's at, and then also the dog's missing at the same time, and this like tie between the dog being gone and the father being gone at the same time, and like when he turns down this offer is right around the time when the dog is back. I think the dog is not only just a dog, but I think it's a little bit symbolic as well and so when he when the dog ends up dying at the end, I think it's just kind of like the death of the dream, you know, and just another like, all right, now we're back, you know, and have to carry on with our stuff. It's just like another, another chink in that armor. Just another way that they've been beaten down.
3: This definitely isn't a movie to watch if you're looking for, for resolution.
0: The cyclical nature of the film is in full effect when the film essentially ends the way it began. Aside from the fact that they don't have the parrot because the wife, kills it and ate it or the dog the film ends the exact same way it opened wagon or the axle wheel noise that and that and they walk off they walk the other direction and that's it
1: then we get a title card just talking about how horrible the poverty is it's like okay yeah i believe you
0: yeah now that i've seen it i believe you entirely (laughs)
1: I think it's also very clever of uh, the filmmakers to set this in 19, what is it, 41, 42? 42, 42. 42. We've got the, the years come up on screen and to say like, oh yeah, I know this is this is the way that it was, but then also saying, and it's the way that it still is. We are not very far removed from Fabiano and his family at all. The The same thing that he was going through in the 40s is the exact same shit we're going through here in the early 60s.
0: And if all accounts are to be believed, which I have no reason to doubt them, it's still going on in Brazil today.
3: The fact that their leader refuses to wear a mask or have them wear a mask and their COVID rate is some of the highest in the in the, in the the world.
0: Listen here, you sheep. What, do you wear a mask when you go out? We have to. It's Seattle. Case in point, you're right. <laughs> we have to. We don't have to here, but we should because, you know, it's America. So. Brazil is one of those countries, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, where when I envision Brazil, this is not the Brazil that I envision. I envision Rio. I envision Cristo Redentor. I envision that. And this is such a stark contrast for a Western film watcher that you would not even think if they didn't tell you this was Brazil, you would probably not have a clue where this film was taking place. Which kind of helps in a way because this could be taking place anywhere. This is film is essentially Brazilian Grapes of Wrath.
3: Pretty much is Grapes of Wrath, as the article that that I read pointed out that, wherein Grapes of Wrath shows their family as more philosophical and you know likable and root you know you root for them and they're you know they feel more you know they're going to make it and it's just you know. All that, the whole Jode family, wherein with barren lives, this family, you can't see any ending but where they already are and continue will continue to be.
0: It's kind of this like perpetual poverty. They can't seem to lift themselves out of it to some might say no fault of their own. But to some extent, Fabiano and his wife, it is their fault to some extent because they're focusing on the wrong thing. The leather bed is not important. It's just not.
3: Fabiano isn't isn't a fighter. As soon as his boss mentions that, you know, he gave him the right amount and how dare you for assuming that I didn't, he backs down. So there's no fight in Fabiano. He's given up. That's one of the other reasons that he didn't go with that man to join his revolution is because he he knows that and accepts that this is where he, this is where his life is, you know, and that's kind of, Well, not kind of. It is depressing to think about.
1: I don't think that it's any coincidence that one of the kids gets really infatuated for an entire scene with the word hell. And just keeps asking, like, what is hell? And just, like, I think it's pretty close to Lenfair, But he just, like, keeps saying that over and over and over again. And he's asking his mommy, what is hell? And she beats him for asking the question and sends him outside. And then it's, like, this real kind of trippy scene where he is just repeating this over and over again. And you, I just wanted to yell at the screen, like, you're in hell, kid. This experience that you're going through, this is hell. So I'm sorry to tell you.
3: They did it perfectly, you know, by showing shots of the sun and their landscape, all while he's saying hell. I think he was, like, saying also punishment or something. He's saying something else while looking at where they are right now. That's basically what hell is.
0: As unsubtle as the film is, because it is rather unsubtle in a lot of its messages and its imagery, I actually found that a little refreshing in a way. There's a part of me that sometimes I just want the filmmaker to get it out. Get out what you're trying to say. Don't make me, don't make me work for it. Sometimes I don't want to work for it. And I'm not saying it's because I don't like working for it. It's just sometimes I want the filmmaker to be brutally honest and upfront because sometimes that, that brutal honesty really helps convey how important the message is. And in this film, Dos Santos does a good job of being brutally honest with the material and doing a good job of conveying to the viewer this is hell. These people are living in hell of their own creation to some extent and to the extent of, the, of they're living in a in a construct of the society, socioeconomic situation that they're in. And I actually really appreciate that, and I normally don't.
3: There's a lot of religious imagery and visuals in the film with them going to church, with after he gets beaten. I don't know who the woman is that's stitching him up. Do you know what I'm talking about, Mike?
1: Yeah, the older lady, I'm not sure where she comes from. It seems like she must be someone from the village that they know or that the wife knows who, yeah, is able to help him out.
3: And saying a prayer while he, while she's stitching him up. The unsubtleness, as he put it, of religious imagery and praying and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's one area where they don't you know, we've seen the soldier, we've seen the boss, but we don't see the priest, you know, and I'm surprised, like, I guess we do see the priest during the, the church scene, but it's not like the 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 church isn't necessarily a target in this film, though, when you realize how religious they are, it's like, well, maybe that's also oppressing them a little bit.
0: At least it's not focused on as much as everything else. The church gets a, a pass this time. For all the films they don't get passes in, this is the film they get a pass in.
1: When we talk about, uh, black god, white devil, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the church next week.
0: Just with the title alone, I would
3: hope so. Did either of you watch that documentary?
1: I did, yeah. What Trevor is talking about is, uh, Cinema Novo. It's a documentary we'll talk a little bit more next week, and we'll actually have the filmmaker, Eric Rocha, who's, uh, Glauber Rocha's son uh, on to, to talk with him about that. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting doc because The biggest decision and the biggest question I'm going to be asking them about is the lack of voiceover. Because it's just, here's the filmmakers talking about things themselves. And so unless you're familiar with this stuff, I was just like, where are we? What are you dropping us into? There's like a couple moments where they kind of ground us here. But if you're unfamiliar, I was just like, okay, this doesn't, even though the name of the doc is Cinema Novo, it's not telling me that much about Cinema Novo as far as, why did this come about? When did it end? What makes a cinema novo film? What made the movement happen?
3: Yeah, I watched it last night and I found it kind of hard to follow from the imagery I was seeing of the other Brazilian films. I was thinking to myself, I have to watch some of these. This is insane. The black God, white devil, I think was the one with that guy wearing those kind of metal around his neck talking uh, about the fires consuming uh, and the flooding he was predicting or something like that because this woman was possessed. I was expecting the usual documentary of like talking heads, talking about the movement, uh, maybe some narration, but no, pretty much what I got was just the filmmakers talking for themselves. You know, they kind of, they really can only describe it the best way possible, um, because you're getting it firsthand from the people who were there. Um, a lot of smoking I noticed in that <laughs> around that time. But it's a good documentary. The only thing I have is the subtitles were at times hard to read because the color was, wasn't very good. But it's, it's a wonderful documentary if you want to learn more about the novo movement. And I
1: certainly do. You know, if you're a hammer, everything you see looks like nails, right? So as I'm watching that and as I'm reading about novo more and I'm, I kept thinking of, you know, I mentioned neorealism at the beginning of the program. And, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I can see some you neorealism. Know, you know, this is the, the early 60s. This is right around the time when New Wave is really starting up in uh, France. And I'm just like, okay, well, I know Roche was a writer, so it's kind of like that whole Cahiers du Cinema thing. So there's a little bit of that. And then when I read, there was a movie called, "Is it Cinco Vezes Favela, which was five filmmakers – that all use segments in one film, and I'm just like, okay, well, that's kind of reminds me of Pearls of the Deep, which was a Czech film that was made, I think, in 66, where it was I think four or five filmmakers all had chapters in it. So I'm just like trying to draw parallels between these different new wave movements. So, but as we go along, I mean, this was, like I said, 1963, when this film comes out, uh, it was just pretty much starting. This is one of those like, real first the flagpole on the mountain kind of thing where it's just like okay here you go you've got this movie there are other a few movies around this time that really make an impact and then things are going to change even starting next week when we talk more and in two weeks when we talk again there's a lot of shit that happens in the early 60s even in the mid 50s in brazil that helped this start and then that almost immediately want to squash it
0: well, the moment you start taking a mirror and holding it up to society, <laughs> society goes, take the mirror and smash it. Stop. Don't show us that. Stop talking about things that are important. Don't use cinema as a change for good. We just want to be entertained. I'm totally not talking about now. I'm only talking about Cinema Novo. I really detest when people say movies are just entertainment because I can speak for myself and myself alone and saying this film is not entertaining. The point of this film is not to entertain. It's to make you aware of a situation, make you sympathetic for people that are currently going through it, be it when the film was filmed, when it was supposed to be set or in the current day and age. And I think that film as a tool for good and as a tool for educating people about situations and times and places that they can't even begin to fathom or imagine considering how in this film we... At least Mike and I—I I don't know about, about you, Trevor—but I didn't know there was a desert in Brazil, even just a basic fact of that to begin with.
3: Well, what I knew about Brazil was basically what you guys knew about Brazil. I knew like Rio de Janeiro, the statue of Christ on the on the mountain thing, or parades with you know Mardi Gras esque you know floats. I didn't know anything about their poverty or their desert. You know, like I said, you know, like you guys said it our views of Brazil were pretty much the populist theory. What I knew was partying, you know, rather than poverty.
0: There's clearly parts in the book that aren't addressed in the film. And per the article, like you're mentioning, Trevor, the article that we were reading, which is clearly out of a academic book of some kind, also mentioned that the source material is almost loosely connected stories. That then Dos Santos kind of fleshed out into a whole film, which I find to be really interesting because, like I said, while I don't find the film to be entertaining, it does hang together as a cohesive piece of film, which when the source material is not a cohesive piece of source material, sometimes that does lead filmmakers to... Have a harder time in having a cohesive story and message to say. And I'm glad that that was not the case with Vita Seikas.
3: And that pretty much um, shows the talent of the filmmaker then, that he could flesh out that material so well. And I think uh, Tomas comes back in the second book.
1: Vita Secus 2, even more barren. All right, we're going to take a break and play a trailer for next week's show right after these brief messages. <laughs> piece of shit i've ever
0: heard this has been great guys
1: thanks god ah oh, that was good oh he's got you crying over there. Uh, i'm good for the rest of the year nice that was too much
3: <laughs> i'm dave hunt and i'm one of the co-hosts for super true stories a podcast where two guys suffer through and report back on some of the worst documentaries you can stream for free I'm Axel Kohag and the other co-host. Film is a beautiful lie that teaches us about who we are on the inside. Dave and I look at the documentaries that are the ugliest of truths, teaching you about mixed martial arts and fishing, poorly faked ghost stories, and everything you wanted to know about poor production values and stock footage. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or at supertruestories.com.
2: It's not too late to turn off your audio device. This is the Projection Booth Podcast with Mike White. Estou condenado, mas tenho coragem! Entrego minha força ao meu santo! Para libertar o meu povo! Louvado seja nosso Senhor Jesus Cristo. Copacabana Filmes apresenta a produção de Luiz Augusto Mendes, Deus e o Diabo na Terra do Sol. Um filme de Glauber Rocha. A dramática aventura de um homem que se perde entre um deus negro e um diabo louro. Guiado por uma testemunha cega e perseguido por Antônio das Mortes. Matador de cangaceiro.
0: Chama agora Satanás
4: Vou acabar com ele, Rosa Vou acabar com ele
2: Magalhães é Rosa.
4: Música
2: Geraldo Telrey é Manuel. Louro. Maurício do Vale é Antônio das Mortes Sônia dos Humildes é Dada, Lídio Silva é o Deus Negro Nunca se fez no Brasil um filme... Como Deus e o na terra do sol.
1: That's right. We'll be back with a look at Glauber Rocha's Black God, White Devil. Until then, I want to thank this week's co-host, Trevor and Chris. Now, Chris, you're going on this whole Cinema Novo journey with me, so people will be hearing from you all month, but I'm still hoping that you can share what you're up to on your other projects.
0: As of right now, I'm sitting at uh, several, but the ones worth uh, talking about right now, obviously the Culture Cast. Once a week, we talk about a different movie, and every month is a different theme. So, kind of doing what you do, Mike, talking a little bit uh, different movies, but kind of all in the same tree of things. So,. There's that, and I also do another podcast called "Scary Stories We Tell," where we talk about the intersection of the unexplained, the paranormal, and true crime. If you want to find out about those, follow me on Twitter
3: at
1: casualty underscore chris. And Trevor, what's been happening in your world, sir?
3: Not much. I like others. Uh, we're in the na- national timeout, you know, where we kind of have to stay in stay in place. Uh, I am a co-host for hire, I guess. If people want to people want to hire me to talk about Movies. I'm really excited about the upcoming Blu ray release of Battlefield Earth, Mill Creek. So, fingers crossed they get the director's cut for that one.
1: Uh, other than that, not much. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Please head on over to the website projectionboothpodcast.com where you can find out more about today's episode. you also find a link over to Patreon where you can make a donation to the show. Every donation we get helps the projection booth take over the world.
4: As aves que aqui gorjeiam não gorjeiam como lá. Nosso céu tem mais estrelas, nossas várzeas tem mais flores. Nossos bosques tem mais vida, nossa vida mais amores. Em cismar sozinho à noite, mais prazer encontre o lá. Minha terra tem palmeiras, onde canto o sabiá. Minha terra tem primores, que tais não encontro o carro. Em cismar sozinho à noite, mais prazer encontre o lá em palmeiras, onde canta o sabiá, não permita a Deus que eu morra, sem que eu volte para lá, não permita a Deus que eu morra, sem que eu volte para lá.